0: Welcome to this Frequency Matters podcast. I'm Pat Hindle, and today I'm talking with Bob Broughton, Product Line Director for Beanformers and SIPs at Analog Devices in the Aerospace and Defense Business. Welcome, Bob. Good morning, Pat. So today we're going to discuss the radar market and some of the trends and components that make up the systems. Bob, what are some of the overall trends that you're seeing in the radar market as far as priorities for the military and the expected growth markets?
1: So the current priorities in the radar market address two new threats drones, and hypersonic weapons. So both these threats have low radar cross-section, which means it's much more difficult for the radars to detect the targets. So in order to extend the detection range and improve the reaction times required, you need more power on target, which means more transmit power and more agile antennas to direct the power where it's needed. So if you, if you look at Ukraine right now and the drone situation, how they're being used there, These are relatively slow, low altitude, they're cheap, and they're numerous. So this scenario can potentially overwhelm radar systems that are designed to detect fighter jets and helicopters, not these these small and numerous targets. On the other hand, hypersonic weapons, the speed and maneuverability of these threats makes a, a rotating antenna like old acquisition radars obsolete because they're too slow And the reaction time is is too long and you'd lose track of these targets uh, potentially. So both these threats are addressed through phased array. So this is well-fielded technology, but there's some recent advances that make them able to counter these, these new threats. So old systems in phased array used lossy corporate feed networks distributing RF power from a single high power amplifier or two. And these are replaced with GAN amplifiers at each antenna element. So you have more power on the antenna face, and this increases the detection range, and the efficiency is potentially much higher. And then with phased array, you get the ability to, uh, to have multiple beams. But with digital phased array, digital beamforming, your array is allowed to look in many directions, multiple beams, many beams simultaneously. And that reduces the acquisition time compared to a spinning antenna and enables you to track many targets and like drone swarms and reduce the reaction time that, that you would have with slower technologies so with phased array because of the power count multipliers that come with phased array these systems can be very expensive with semiconductor process capabilities driven by cell phones and other consumer markets phased array technology is being developed outside of the traditional military suppliers and bringing advantage of commercial scale and cost. So while the addressable market for that we see in radar maybe has been flat to a few percent up year on year, given these new threats and the renewed commitment to funding self-defense capabilities, especially in Europe and Asia, we see the annual growth for the radar market approaching 10%.
0: So you mentioned GAN semiconductors. Uh, for radar systems, are you seeing systems opting for GAN now on the RF side? Are there any exceptions to this? They still use gallium arsenide, any?
1: Yeah, good question. So GAN's been a game changer, no no doubt about it. High-power, narrow-band, kilowatt-class amplifier applications that used to use power tubes can now be addressed with GAN amps with efficient power combining and get up to these, these kilowatt power levels. But GAN can also be wideband, replacing traveling wave tubes with real improvements in reliability, size, weight, and efficiency. So with, with GAN amps, you can get very impressive pulse power capabilities. One device can create well over 100 watts. And you can do this without exotic cooling techniques and without high voltages. And you can even use cheap plastic packaging techniques with these GAN amps. So this makes GAN Again, very attractive for phased array at the element level. So we're seeing a modernization of phased array in general. So what used to be corporate or space-fed arrays are now moving to GAN at the element level and achieving big improvements in efficiency and detection range. So you can look at the Spy 6 radar or the Patriot radar as two examples of corporate and space-fed arrays in the previous uh, generations, now taking advantage of GAN technology and with big performance improvements. There are exceptions. So with phased array and with a PA at every element, now, if you increase the number of elements, that increases the total power that you transmit, but you also get an increase in the antenna gain as the, the array gets larger. So that gives you a double whammy for for total power and the effective radiated power. So as your arrays get larger, you don't necessarily need GAN in order to get the required levels of effective radiated power. So some applications can use gas amps at the element, or even if space is a problem, then you can even use silicon amplifiers that are integrated within the the beamforming ICs themselves. So this can bring the solution size and cost down as compared to uh, what you can do with GAN and where you don't need that very high power uh, in certain applications. So some places where we see gas and silicon not yielding to GAN are in in SATCOM on the ground side, 5G and automotive radar as just a few examples.
0: Yeah, you can't beat the uh, cost and integration level of silicon.
1: That's right.
0: So what are you seeing on the uh, converter and processing side for performance demands for radar systems?
1: Right, so analog techniques can address multiple radar beams, but the complexity of the beamforming network makes it really impractical to get much beyond a dozen or so beams at a time. So if an application requires hundreds of beams you'd like to have for scanning a large volume or tracking drones or these kinds of applications, then digital beamforming is just a a better design choice. But this requires a data converter behind every antenna element. So for size and frequency planning reasons, ideally like to sample directly at the RF frequency, which is pushing the sample rates for the converters up much higher and, you know, higher than 20 gigasamples per second, for example. But with the military radar, it's not just the sample rate. You also have to be able to put up with Standoff jammers, for instance. So you have to tolerate very large signals without saturating a converter and simultaneously be able to detect the intended radar return from the target that you're trying to acquire or track. So that means that you need a large dynamic range in your converter, which means a lot of bits. So. Let's do some math. So for the example that we, we gave, 20 gigasamples per second, and let's say we had 10 bits of equivalent uh, linearity in the converter and 1,000 elements in a typical phased array, that's 200 terabits per second of data that has to be processed by the radar signal processor. So a huge amount of data and it's a problem for the radar signal processor in itself just to gag down that much data but the sheer power required to process or to transport the data is huge so at a at a modest 10 picojoules per bit it's 2 kilowatts just to move the data from the antenna face back to the signal processor so so the answer to relieve that burden is to do as much processing as much data processing as you can at the edge at the antenna face at the digital converter itself. So digital down conversion, filtering, beamforming, and calibration at the data converter can reduce this computational burden and the power consumption required to move the data by orders of magnitude. And that's that's where we see these data converters are not just the ADDs of old, but they're also integrating a lot of DSP.
0: Oh, that's very interesting. But uh, ADI also plays in the subsystem market What trends in the radar are you seeing there? You know, are the customers generally preferring higher level assemblies so they don't have to deal with the integration of various components or not?
1: Yeah, in the past, when commercial technology wasn't available, the primes had to be vertically integrated and they had to do it all from the component level all the way up to full equipment offerings. And this was at low scale with huge R&D costs. So it made these developments very expensive. And the commercial world benefited from these military and space industry investments. So yeah, we got microwave ovens and tang, but we also got a lot of semiconductor development and advances in mobile computing uh, that that came out of the military and space development markets. So today, the, the traditional DoD primes, they're becoming system integrators, and they've got a lot of competitive pressure to provide the most advanced solutions at very high reliability and At the lowest cost to the taxpayer so today the modern commercial electronics market is much larger than the defense electronics market and with so much more being spent on research and product development and cost reduction at very high scales in the modern commercial world the primes and defense market are able to leverage those investments for military purposes So it's been a turnaround where it used to be driven by the primes and the DoD. Now this technology is being driven by the the commercial world. So we're, we're building custom modules and system and package components, serving radar applications for several programs of record now. And an advantage that ADI brings is the ability to draw from a huge modern semiconductor portfolio and exercise the commercial high-volume manufacturing ecosystems to provide these module solutions with high-reliability, low-cost semiconductors. So smart system partitioning can reduce the number of sensitive interfaces that the customer has to deal with within these, these enclosures, and it leaves the more difficult ones to processes and technologies that we're already accustomed to in the semiconductor world, so miniature manufacturing and so forth. So this divisional labor plays to our strengths and allows the primes to, to focus on system design, algorithms, and technology integration.
0: So talking about more complicated systems, it seems like for years we've been talking about integrating radar and communications into one system. Do you see that happening in the near future, or are there performance demands that are too different? This will never be realized. Yeah,
1: it's a great debate. So this comes down to the engineering trade-offs and the trade-offs include the cost of development and, and the cost of, of upgrading. So I guess the classic argument is that you can't combine the functions of a Ferrari and a pickup truck in one particular design. Either it's going to be fast or it's going to be able to carry weight, but it's not going to be able to do both well. So a similar skepticism was made years ago in the cellular technology market where every new standard that came up uh, GSM or wideband CDMA required a, a new point solution in the radio because the, the semiconductors weren't advanced enough and we required fully analog signal chains, hardware accelerators, the ADD converters weren't up to the task of sample at, at the front end frequencies. But now with the advances in fine line CMOS, gas and bipolar processes are, are being displaced and CMOS is, is approaching the antenna closer and closer all the time. And with high speed converters, the digital domain being closer to the antenna, we can get rid of the analog signal chains and down converters and replace the dedicated accelerators, the hardware accelerators, with reconfigurable microprocessors. So with this comes software defined radio. So once you get to the digital domain, the modem is now reduced to a software problem. Still not easy, but it's a lot more scalable than having to design new hardware for every different air standard. We see the same trend in commercial test equipment. Most spectrum analyzers and network analyzers are, are now software-defined, and the upgrades are new feature sets, not even envisioned when the part when the piece of equipment was released, are accessible through software upgrades. to the same software-defined approach in commercial test equipment. So back to radar and comms. So let's look at an example. In a pulsed radar, um, narrow pulse requires a lot of peak power to get the same energy on target. Or you can have a a CW transmitter at much lower power and get the same amount of of energy on a target over a longer period of time. So for those two solutions, the amplifiers, the power supply, cooling systems, et cetera, for the two systems, they're going to be very, very different. But with some maybe acceptable engineering compromises through waveform design and tailoring the hardware, we can bring those two cases closer together. So instead of very short, high-power pulses, we can have longer pulses at lower peak power, and we can modulate those pulses within those pulses and modulate them with information. So we retain the range function of the pulse radar, and we're able to transmit data within that pulse through a communications link. So this is exactly how the Spy 6 radar works. It's got the radar and missile uplink functions embedded in that same waveform. So here's an example where you can do a good job both in one particular design. So the key is you wanna stay in the digital domain as long as possible and get as close to the antenna as possible. And the dream will be that we can get to software defined apertures that are enabled by these advanced semiconductors and waveform design.
0: Well, thank you very much, Bob, for uh, talking with me today about the radar market and some of the trends and components in integration. We appreciate your insights and hope to have you back again soon. To our listeners, you can find more podcasts at podcast.microjournal.com. Thanks for listening.